Hey everyone, Shannon here jumping in before the episode. Today we are talking to Andy Kirchhoff about his faith journey upon leaving the seminary and coming out as a gay Catholic man. We were all talking about an issue that is deeply personal and on which the church's teaching is very straightforward. And it was not an easy conversation and we were all very vulnerable and open about how we love each other and love LGBTQ people while still trying to remain true and faithful to the church's teaching. We ask that you listen with an open heart and an open ear to Andy's story, recognizing that we are humans with limited language who can't always say everything we mean and we're doing our best to try to love Jesus and love each other. Thanks for joining us for this very special season finale. Welcome to the season six finale of Plaid Skirts and Basic Black, the Black Catholic podcast, where we talk about culture, pop culture, Catholicism, current events, and whatever else we can come up with week to week. I'm Marcia, coming to you live with what seems to be a dude ranch, joined by my co-host Shannon, who loves ranch, and we are joined today by a super cool dude who we are super excited to have on the show, a fellow Chicagoan who, get this, has never seen the Blues Brothers. So, wait, Bonnie, before before we make you turn in your Chicago card and ban you from your local owls, we do have a few questions that we need you to answer for us, okay? Works for me. (laughs) Okay. First of all, are you black? No, I am not. (laughs) That is fine. Are you Catholic? Yes. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) So, I need to know. What is the most basic thing about you? Oh my gosh. This she oddly enough, this is one of the harder things for me to answer. Like <laughs> it's funny because like uh, Marcia, as you know, I ran for office before. I've been in the seminary. You know, I'm used to I'm used to sort of like a public comment and a call and response and answering questions. So when people ask me like the most basic thing about me, believe it or not, I don't know how to answer. Like I mean, I, I spend my time <laughs> You know, oh, I'll read like an article from the New York Times in in one breath. And then, oh, I have to go back to taking a call for my customer service job in the next breath. And, you know, then I'm reading about some other senator doing something and reading some theology article somewhere. I just can't get enough of that. So I guess that's the most basic thing about me. And I'm a child of God through all of it. I I guess that's that's the other part. Love it. I love it. (laughs) No, no, that's pretty great. Okay, before we start, before we get into like all about you, your basic stuff, the fact that you're not a real Chicagoan because you haven't seen the Blues Brothers, we're going to do a weather check. So we're going to check in with each other and see how we're doing. And I know that you listened to a few episodes of the show. So, you know, we describe our state of being in within weather. Shannon, I'm going to put you on the spot. What is the weather in your neck of the woods? Yeah, so I am calling it uh, humid, but bearable. It's a little sticky, a little gross, but like you can deal with it. It's not like midsummer, mid-August in Chicago where you're like, please let me do anything else other than be outside. There's a lot of stuff going on in our lives. Uh, There's a lot of just minimal stress, like lots of little stressful things that are building, but I can handle it. 
And I also, like, I have this weird pride in thriving on stress of being like, I'm so stressed out, but it's fine because I'm amazing and I can handle it. Um, and that's like, it's not good. It's not good for my mental health, but it's okay right now. I feel like I'm taking care of myself. I am not stress eating sugar. Uh, I did like two really? weeks ago. Yes, really? really. Really, today I'm not. Yesterday I was. <laughs> today I'm not <laughs> I may have gotten a text message yeah. about that <laughs> yeah like two weeks ago my husband bought a bag of Twizzlers and I ate I think three quarters of the bag in a day so I was like okay it's time to take a break from the sugar um, bag that's the real question yeah it was I think it was the five pound bag it was pretty big <laughs> so um, nice so you know stepping back from that it's okay right now it's okay we're all gonna be okay how about you, Andy? Okay, so I would say the weather is sunny, a little overcast. Temperature is almost exactly where I want it, maybe a little too warm. I, I know this isn't exactly how you guys usually do it, but I'll say like the seven-day forecast, like four days looking really good. After that, oh, maybe some rain clouds, chance of thunderstorms, we'll see. I like this addition. This is a new thing that I like very much. <laughs> I know, wait, right, exactly, right in time for the season finale. Let's change up the way we do our weather. We're going to have to think about this for season six, or season seven. Mm -hmm. <laughs> seven-day forecast for season seven? Oh, oh, Andy, Andy, I think you might have done something. And it's something. the perfect theological number. <laughs> it is! <laughs> Yay! This is how you know you're on a Catholic podcast. <laughs> right. <laughs> My weather's like early fall. Like I like to say like October football game weather. Do you know what I mean? You know, right? Yeah, you guys know what's up. Everyone's on the lung. So uh, we used chili, to have walking right? tacos. Yes, I'm in. Yes. And I used to wear, you just, all you have to do is wear like a sweatshirt and, you know, maybe a skull cap, but I can't put a skull cap up. Over also, my head, a so. giant plaid scarf. <laughs> uh, yes, plaid scarfs and basically some <laughs> high boots and a legging. <laughs> Just one. Oh, it's Han Solo. It's when all the women start looking like Han Solo. That's the one. That's that's the basic woman. Look at me. I am a little basic right now. That's my weather. So that's my weather right now. Like it's one of those things where it's like I'm in this transition. Like I'm preparing for things to get colder not in a bad way but like I I love fall like I'm preparing for things to kind of fall away or fall off not exactly fall apart so please learn no falling apart but that's kind of where I am where I'm like preparing myself I'm preparing myself to die to self so I can be renewed again so yeah so I'm preparing for life to change and that's kind of where I am I'm like preparing my heart and my spirit and you know moving forward and ready like bring it on right are you ready for it? Boom. That's my Taylor Swift reference of the podcast. <laughs> now required in every podcast. <laughs> so yeah, that's my weather. You know what's so crazy, guys? This is insane. Everyone mark this day. Like, I'm going to stop talking for a while. Like, I bet everyone's like real shocked what? about that. I know. I know. Because we got to talk about our guests. We got to talk about Andy and we want to hear about your life. So we want you to have the floor. We want you to tell us about your faith journey. On one of our podcasts, the channel I both like, we talk about our guests, their guest testimonies, <laughs> their guest testimonies. So, um, but we're not gonna. I don't know if that's trademark. So, not that. <laughs> your Andy Money. We want to talk. <laughs> we want to hear from you. We want to hear about your life in the church. How somehow you managed not to see Blues Brothers. Um, you know. <laughs> 
like all of those things. And um, how you and Shannon's dad are technically in the same alumni group. Yes, they are. Which is like amazing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so Andy Kirchhoff, tell us about yourself. Ooh, okay. So first off, thank you for inviting me on as a guest to do this faith sharing. So excited. With, <laughs> We're super excited about it. Because I was like, wow. It was just sort of like mind-blowing, like, whoa, I haven't done something like this in so long. I don't think I've ever been a guest on a podcast before. So things to know about. I am 31. I live in Berwyn, Illinois, same town I grew up in. It is a near western suburb of Chicago. The tagline right now is that it's nothing like a suburb because we've got the population density of the city. It's bungalows and apartment buildings, concrete jungle, and I love it here. It has definitely changed over the years, but interestingly, one thing that has changed since I grew up is that it is now a sort of like LGBT-like hotspot. We've got a very large LGBT population here, which was not the case when I was growing up, um, at least not to the extent that it is now. Uh, I am Catholic. I was in the seminary first uh, at Quigley, the high school seminary for the Archdiocese of Chicago, which Shannon, now that I know your dad was, is, is also a Quigley alum, which mm -hmm. I say, yeah, love it. Uh, <laughs> I was part of the last graduating class, actually, uh, class of 2007. There was only, I think there was only 36 of us. So it's definitely not a typical high school experience, but one that I am very grateful to have because I mean, when I look at like my educational history, you know, St. Leonard in Berwyn, four years at Quigley, and then the four years, four-ish years of college between Benedictine University and Loyola, Quigley was by far the best, easily the best four years of my educational career, easily, no questions asked, loved it. Beyond that, let's see, uh, as I mentioned, I, I did seminary, even after Quigley, I went to a St. Joseph College Seminary, which at the time was the college seminary for the Archdiocese of Chicago. I, I wanted to go to the diocesan route. After three years, I took a leave of absence, and then after that leave of absence, I basically discerned out. I don't know if that's the word they still use these days, but back in my day, all 10 years ago, that's what they said. Uh, <laughs> and it has been 10 years since I left the seminary now, which is, it's interesting. That, that is a, about the time I came out as gay as well, which is also something kind of wild to comprehend. It's been that long now. It's, it's been 10 years since that part of my life has sort of, you know, like been around, I guess. I also ran for office. I ran for state representative here in the 24th district here in Illinois. I lost quite, well, let's just say it was a blowout, but I had a lot of fun. I had fun being there kicking it off. That was a good time. I remember cheering uh, at one point and I was like, yes, boy, this is going to be so much fun. And I would do it again for that same reason. I learned so much by doing that. Politics has always been a part of my life too. Leaving seminary sort of forced me to deal with that too in the same way that it, it forced me to deal with my sexuality. It forced me to deal with a lot of things. Honestly, and I know we're kind of like bouncing back and forth between a lot of different things here. I would say that um, for a lot of people, you hear like uh, vocation stories like, oh, this is how I knew that God wanted to become a priest or oh, I'm going to become a nun, whatever. For a lot of people, it's like, oh, I was doing one thing and I was do doing really good at it. And then God zapped me and said, no, you're going to do this instead. For me, it's kind of the other way around. Uh, seminary was kind of like an easy way out. And it's only by leaving that I had to come to terms with all these other things in my life, including sexuality, especially sexuality. But certainly not just that. I'm grateful to God that as rough as it was and still is, believe me, it is not easy. Um, I'm still here and I'm grateful for it. I'm, I can be a, a far better witness for one thing now that I can be my authentic self. and. Um, God wants us to be that way. I mean, 
it's, it's funny that it turns out that way, but he wants us to be authentic. He's all about the truth, right? He's the way, the truth, and the life. So if we're going to do that, you have to be your authentic self. And in my case, that meant leaving the seminary as opposed to going into it. I don't know if that answers your full question because I know it's like, oh, all about Andy. <laughs> I don't even know what to say because I'm almost sort of like used to like having like a question answer format, especially <laughs> you sit in front of editorial boards, you do town hall meetings, you, you knock on people's doors and you ask them, hey, you know, um, do you have any questions? What are the issues you care about? And, you know, things like that. And even now that I'm doing a customer service job, like on the phone, it's the same thing, right? I'd say like, oh, hi, this is Andy, blah, 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 blah. How can I help you today? And you ask, you wait for them to, answer, to ask a question. So it's, it's kind of odd for me to have the floor like this in some ways. But I have been in a position where I've had to do this before. And even talking about my, my faith journey, especially as it relates to sexuality, have I done this kind of thing before? Yes. Am I used to it? No. Especially because as time moves on, the story changes. Not in, not in the sense that, you know, can we change the past? Of course not. But the way I understand myself, the way I understand God, the way I understand all this stuff changes over time as well. I remember giving a talk about this a couple of years ago, and, and I'm sure that what I said back then is not what I'm saying today. It, that's just the case. Again, that, that's also some, I mentioned the tension earlier that we have to kind of deal with that in our lives. And well, that's part of the tension too. It's like, wow, did I make myself a liar? Well, no. It's just knowing that right now I'm in a different place than I was back then. So you mentioned, I knew that seminary was the easy way out. And it was like, once you left. And as someone who is a single person who does not have a vocation to the sisterhood, like I'm like everyone, it doesn't matter what those nuns listening are saying, I'm not trying to join you. <laughs> In a lot of ways, like I felt that too. I was like, yeah, it would be, it would be super easy if I would just become a nun. What would have been easy about it? Like, how would that have been easier? Sure. So for one thing, even now, not, not, not as much as it used to be, but even now it is very easy to stay in the closet if you are a priest, because there's never any question about if you're going to marry anyone who you're, who you're attracted to, are you dating, et cetera. That's never an issue because it's, it's taken for granted, right? No, well, you're not married. You're married to the church. Um, to use that theological language. And um, it, what that meant is that I never had to own my sexuality in any way. I never had to sort of come to terms with it and what it meant. And that wasn't like a conscious choice when I decided to go to seminary. I mean, I didn't really figure out that I was gay until I was in high school anyway. And even then, like when I first went to the college seminary, it wasn't like, oh my gosh, I need to hide this from the world and this is the way to do it. That, that's not how it was. Mm -hmm. Subconsciously, I'm sure that was part of it. But consciously speaking, that was never the issue. The other reason that I think the priesthood is easy for me is that in a lot of ways, like since you have your vow of obedience to the bishop, you, you kind of just do what you're told, right? You, you don't have to like make your own decisions. I guess the military is kind of like this too, in a certain sense. Oh, you have a new parish assignment? Okay, there you go. Okay, well, your room and board is kind of taken care of for you too, right? You've got the rectory. There's a lot of things that are sort of just like, they're taken care of for you. And for, for some people, including me, that's like, you know, that's like a, that's like a safety blanket in some ways. It's, it's comforting to know that, oh, okay, I have this taken care of. I don't, I don't need to worry about it. And since, you know, making decisions like that does take me out of my comfort zone even now. Those are the two big reasons why, for me, seminary was, quote unquote, the easy way out. And it wasn't until my third year in seminary when I did have to come face to face with my sexuality. But even beyond that, I started to get extremely mentally sick. That's something else I've had to come to terms with over the years, too. Mm -hmm. um, my struggles with mental health, having obsessive compulsive disorder, um, and all the various other things that come with that. It got to the point where I just, I could not function anymore. I ended up withdrawing from seminary a week before finals, which for me was unthinkable. I was a person 
who worshipped the golden idol letter A. And <laughs> the idea you were the Hermione Granger of seminary. I feel, kind of, that. Yeah. I feel uh, that so hard. <laughs> so, by the way, it was a Jesuit who used that phrase, and I've, I've kept it with me ever since he used it. I think it's great. But yeah, I, I was one of those people. And then the week before finals, I find myself literally going back to my parents' house in Berwyn. And it was the rector. Rector is just like the principal of the seminary, basically. Boss man, whatever you want to call it. And I remember I, I went to his office just in tears because I was totally distraught. I could not function. And he called my parents, said, uh, Andy, I think you need to go home. We can talk about more of this later. And boy, was he right. And I had to stay at home with my parents. I really couldn't do much schoolwork either. I had to basically do makeup finals and a couple makeup papers that next semester where I wasn't doing much of anything. I was at home trying to figure out, okay, what do I do now? In some ways, it felt like everything I had done had been totally meaningless and worthless. You know, it was almost like starting my life all over again in a certain way. I mean, it was only 21, 22 something. So you think like, heck, Andy, you have your whole life ahead of you. What are you so worried about? But I mean, at the time, it was pretty drastic. I, I had spent a lot of effort trying to do well in the seminary, learning theology, learning pastoral work, doing everything that a priest is supposed to do and being the, you know, a good Catholic boy, quote unquote. So that was a big shock for me, having to come to terms with that all of a sudden, realizing that, uh, well, my plans were clearly not God's plans. <laughs> and it was definitely humbling. But one other thing that I, I learned, I think my dad taught me this actually, and I'm still not sure where he got this from. It might be in the catechism somewhere, but humility is acknowledgement of the truth. It isn't making you, it isn't like, oh, you feel bad about yourself because this or that or the other thing. Humility is just acknowledgement of the truth. And in my case, I had to leave seminary just to come to terms with that. There was no other way it was going to happen. That's how it happened. That's really beautiful. Wow. Shannon and I talked about this because I have a whole, um, I have a view and I'm just going to share it. So you were saying how um, it's easy to be in the closet and be a priest or, you know, be in seminary and things like that. And I've said this before. I said, I wish that seminary process was open to having people who are gay be seminarians. Like you said, they take a vow of celibacy anyway. I wish that our priests could be openly gay, like our other priests are openly heterosexual. And just because priests get to talk about ex-girlfriends, they get to talk like there are widowers who are priests, you know, right. things like that. I was like, there's got to be that kid in the pew. Like, God, do you think that you would benefit from knowing that there was an openly gay priest? Like, I have a place here. God loves me. What could that even mean if you know that a priest is gay and then this is how they're living their life? Yes, representation matters. Being a gay man, it's like, wait a second. If, if I had known that there were other gay priests out there who were trying to be faithful to church teaching, for one thing, that would have been mind-blowing at the time for me. If I had known that being openly gay was even an option, if I had any sort of model like that growing up, things would have been so much different. I mean, for one thing, I, maybe I would have uh, felt the courage to come out in high school. There were some guys even in seminary who came out. And like you said, it really does make a difference because when you can identify with someone um, when you can say, oh, someone else has had these same struggles, or they understand what this is like, it makes a big difference. That goes, of course, if you're, if you're gay like me, if, if you're black. It goes for other things, too. I know I mentioned mental illness earlier, and there's all sorts of other things where this can apply. And I think in general, it just helps everybody if we can be transparent and authentic. That doesn't mean you have to overshare. I know that's a thing. Millennials and Gen Z folks, that's probably going to be our week. What are you talking about? I don't overshare. No one knows anything about me. Like, no one knows anything about me at all. I'm just saying. 
<laughs> Why okay. you guys? You guys look awkward. Why did this get awkward, guys? <laughs> like my parents' generation, and um, my my parents are actually also old. My dad is eighty one. Uh, my mom is in her late sixties. They married late. This even goes beyond the question of like even race in America, I think, and even uh, sort of other divisions. There's a generational gap here where like the older you are, the less open you are to sharing your experiences. There are things that are just hmm. automatically off. You don't talk about them. You don't share them. And for millennials and younger, I feel like it's the other way around. It's like, oh my gosh, share everything. Talk about everything. Um, it's, like, it's like a course correction from our parents' generation, in my experience. Um, yeah. So that's where we get the truth. Like that's where we remove stigmas by telling the truth about things. And that, and that is huge. Like for me, there's a huge stigma. And we talked about this in our mental health episode of mental health in the black community. Yeah. And so it's like, yeah, I'm a black woman. I have anxiety. Like it's real. It's like a don't claim it. Cause you won't people. I'm like, no, 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 no. It's important for people to know that I'm struggling. Right. Like you say, like, it's important for people to know that, Hey, this is, this is my truth. And what happens to you it's like you're not the only person in the world that's going to deal with this and you could help someone else. So you could, that's why I'm like, why don't we have more gay priests? I mean, here's the thing. I know that we have gay priests. <laughs> I'm aware that they're a gay priest, but why can't we know about the gay priests? <laughs> because baby Andy would have been so different. Aww. It's okay, baby Andy. What are all the other baby Andys? We want to take care of them too. <laughs> So to kind of jump off of that, I think we, we are all kind of talking around the idea that what our culture puts forward as an LGBTQ lifestyle is oftentimes in conflict with the church's teaching on sexuality. And I think we would all say, right, that like acknowledging your sexual attractions is not the same as acting on those sexual attractions. But also, this is something that I, as a, you know, heterosexual female who doesn't understand this experience and, you know, from the outside, I tick all the boxes for the church, right? Like I'm married, I have four kids, I have, but at the same time, like I have to acknowledge my own healthy sexuality as well. I would be interested to know how you live and breathe in a church where sometimes um, acknowledging your sexuality is often in conflict with what we are living in the church. And and I don't mean right specifically about the church's teaching, um, although we can talk about that, but oftentimes people use the church's teaching to ostracize LGBTQ people, to push them out of the church. Uh, when in fact, if we look at our church, right, we don't baptize babies and ask like, is this a gay baby? Where do we just baptize them? Because God bless them. Right? <laughs> There's no like test. So you mentioned the whole the gay baby thing. I just remember, and this did actually happen in seminary. There was one viral video of like some like one year old baby like dancing to Beyonce. Oh my god! I remember one of the other seminarians was like, "That's a gay baby right there." <laughs> Maybe it's just a baby with some rhythm and good right? It's okay. Was it a black baby? <laughs> yeah. I mean, not like, but really though, was it a black baby? I just remember like there was. It was the baby was like looking at this like big screen TV and Beyonce was playing and he was like, he was like imitating her movements and everything. It was, it was really funny. But, but yeah, of course, Shannon, yes, you're right. It, you can like Beyonce and not be gay. My gosh, people. Like there, there are plenty of times, um, not just politically, because I tend to be, I tend to bear more right than other, um, than other gays. But even beyond that, like 
I've had some of my friends will tell me like, Andy, I want to talk about fashion with you because you're a gay guy and you're supposed to know these things. And I don't know. <laughs> No, that's, I would never think to, it's so funny because I know you, I would talk to you about like theology stuff and policy. Like you talk to me about it, send it to me. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. This is the thing. It's like, this is one thing I really hope gets out there. I had to learn to embrace my sexuality and all everything that came with it in order to really like learn these other things about myself. The fact that I love politics, the fact that I, the fact that I have, different political beliefs, the fact that I like figure skating, the fact that I'm not a fashion guy at all and I never will be, the, the fact that I'm like an anime nerd, the fact that I play things like Yu-Gi-Oh and I love it. These are things I could only really come to term with, terms with these things and learn more about myself after I was able to embrace my sexuality. For other people, it might not be a sexual, a sexual thing that they have to deal with. They might have to come to terms with something else and just acknowledge us about themselves. These things are really important and I'm glad that even in the past 10 years, both in the church and in the world at large, we've made a lot of progress with things like that, coming to terms with them publicly and privately. It's just, it's just such a better way to be. That's how God wants you to be. The world doesn't have, doesn't have time for you to be fake, right? You think God wants you to be fake? No. You know what? Thank you. I like that permission. I was more struggling with being myself. Um, so thank you so much, Andy. I really... <laughs> well, maybe. So... <laughs> yeah, just to loop back is there anything you wanted to say about the church and how we deal with gay people in our midst i'm glad you said that actually because during the past 10 years things i've noticed things have changed the fact that i can think of at least one openly gay priest in the archdiocese in milwaukee right now and i can think of some others i think they're mostly in religious orders but the the fact that they're they can actually do that now that was not possible 10 years ago that can happen now and it's it's like it's not the end of the world in fact it's generally a good thing and i'm always happy to see it it's like great man if, if only this could have been done sooner i think a lot of things could be different i would say just being able to openly talk about these things without sort of any fear of retribution or any sort of vindictiveness that alone would make a huge difference mm -hmm. in fact that has to come before the question of things like changing language in the catechism or CDF documents, things like intrinsically disordered and other other linguistic issues like that. Most of the time, and I, I know this just from talking to other people about this, a lot of times the reason that the that we have those language issues is because of how the issue is already perceived. And if you change that perception, then that language barrier becomes, it's like, who cares anymore? No one will care. And uh, I mentioned before, you know, intrinsically disordered. When you see that language in church documents from the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith, that is a huge stumbling block for gay people. And Yes, for yeah, straight people like a who read it and love component. gay people. Mm -hmm. right. Exactly. Yeah. Like our LGBTQ brothers and sisters are not serial killers. It right. adds to that trope of yeah. like the bad gay person, like the villain in like old movies. It turns out, oh, and they're gay. The good news is that in other languages, that term is not so harsh. There are still issues with the document in other languages. There's still an issue where, like you said, it's like the gay trope, especially the gay male trope. But a lot of these issues, I'm convinced, would essentially become non-issues or they would like fade away into obscurity if we were just to deal with the real flesh and blood gay person, et cetera. Like, deal with these people. As soon as you make these things flesh and blood and incarnational, the other stuff just becomes, it just becomes so much easier. I, I really do think the issues with language, like like that intrinsically disordered phrase, we'll, we'll we'll probably see it like change overnight, and no one will even notice because, well, we're we're all used to gay people, so who cares? People will care because I mean, people who are affected by it now, like it's like they'll notice. 
I don't want to use the word validation, but like this sense of belonging. I feel that there's so much, okay. there's a lot of othering that happens mm-hmm. to LGBT Catholics. I know that if that language suddenly changed, I would feel awake because my goodness, there are so many people, people in my family, people who I consider family that I know their heart and I know their spirit and, you know, like what they have to offer the world that this one thing is supposed to define everything that they are. Like my sister, she's a news reporter. The thing that I I tell everyone about my sister first, people know that I have a sister Mm -hmm. who's a news reporter. What do they know about her? They know that she's won two Emmys. They don't know my sister, the gay one who's married to a woman, right? Like they know, I'm like, they know my Emmy winning news reporting sister because that is the most amazing thing about her. She won them both on the same night and I cried the whole time. Um, right? I know. Shout out to Joey. I know that you're saying like, oh yeah, once language changes, but I guess, and it maybe it's just me being an SJW for my LGBTQ Catholics. I feel that when I hear well-meaning people believe that they're explaining exactly what the gay experience is, there's no way that they can understand or even be willing to understand because as we should, we take the church's teaching you know, as, as, as canon, <laughs> we take it, we Quite take it literally. as literally, <laughs> but we are like, we're Catholics. We're literally supposed to take the teaching as words. And when the word, when the church is using words that are hurtful, it's difficult not to be hurt. And I see what you're saying. I guess it's just people that feel they can speak on it are people that, that learn that the church, what the church says is, is truth. And what we speak is what it is. And, and they share that information, but without without that love and that experience, it makes those words so much worse. And I say this, mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not. I was be like, I'm, I'm straight. And I am like, so like, ah, oh, because I love, <laughs> I'm going to need you now. Can you please not say that? Intrinsically disordered. Like someone legit, I will never forget this. We were sitting and having wine and lobster macaroni and cheese. And I was kind of talking to her and I was like, well, you know, the whole like openly gay priest thing. I would explain, I was telling her, talking to her about that. And then she's like, well, no. And like, she put on like this teacher voice with me and I will never forget this conversation. She goes, well, we know that, and this is what they interpret, what they know, quote air quotes, um, with what they've decided to interpret church teaching as. They go, well, we know that our gay brothers and sisters, there's something twisted and she like made like a hand motion like for twisted inside of them and we have to help we have to pray for them that God untwist that so that's where we can show compassion and I go what that's not even what I can't even say what I wanted to say because we don't have a bleep on this podcast Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't know how to add that bleep but and (laughs) it forever changed how I saw her it didn't change my views or my love for gay Catholics, but it changed how I had to love that person from that point on. And the church gives us this language. And though we're not to lean on our own understanding, we still often do. And we share that understanding as truth. And until the church is able to call it out, that is not going to change. And so I understand what you're saying, but I also think that I think it does need to change and it does need to be a big deal when it does change. I'm going to jump in here to like have a little clarification for people who may not know this, that language of intrinsically disordered is coming out of the philosophical tradition, right? So we're talking about um, like if you read Thomas Aquinas or something like that, ordering something to the greatest good, right? So like we as humans are ordered towards communion with God, right? We use that language in the church all the time, but in the secular world, 
that kind of language is used in psychology. It's used, right? Like it's used like your, your house is messy. It's disordered. And so it has a different meaning in spoken language and in the language of the culture than it does in the church's teaching. And we do this with things like the Trinity. We talk about God as three persons. Well, that's a philosophical term. But for most of us, we're like, God isn't a person. I guess Jesus was a person. To clarify that for our listeners, that we need to like look at what is, why is the church using this language? Um, because it's usually not because they're coming from like an American psychological book, you know, right? Um, they're probably coming from like Latin way, way back in the centuries. I think the other thing that I'd like to share is that when we're talking about language, we're not criticizing the church's teaching. We're talking about how is this going to bring people to Christ, right? Does it bring people to Christ? Yes. <laughs> intrinsically disordered. If someone were to approach me and say, well, you know, black people aren't as smart as white people, but that's okay. Why don't you come to school here? Uh, no, we're good. What are you are literally trying to catch black bees with vinegar? And I'm not saying like trick gay people, but I'm like, I'm not like a bait and switch, but that's the thing. Like words matter and words hurt. Yeah. You make a compelling case. And um, I'm glad, I'm glad you said everything that you just said, because it's a reminder for me that how far I've come, you know, at this, at this point, look, I live in a super progressive community and I am like the token gay conservative. You know, I, I deal <laughs> when I deal with LGBTQ people, I'm like ostracized from a lot of them here in Berwyn. Not all of them. Some of them will still talk to me. But it's easy for me to forget that there was a time when I had internalized exactly what Marcia had said, that because I'm gay, there's something messed up, quote unquote, that I'm psychologically or spiritually messed up. It's like an internal sin or something like that. And uh, I don't believe that at all anymore. Um, in fact, it's like, how could I ever have believed that? I haven't believed it for quite some time now. I, I didn't believe it when I ran for office. I didn't believe it when I, even when I first came out, to tell you the truth. Um, there has been an evolution in how I've understood my sexuality, and, but I would absolutely agree with Marcia that to the extent that the language of intrinsically disordered is sort of giving this sort of like carte blanche authorization for people to sort of label anyone who identifies as gay as messed up. Um, or, you know, the corollary where you said like, oh, black people aren't as smart of course, that's, that's terribly offensive. It's blatantly racist. It's disgusting. It's a lie. Of course, if you're black, you're just as smart as a white person. It doesn't matter. If you're gay, you're not messed up any more than the other straight person. Since I have the theological and philosophical background and I can read words like intrinsically disordered and, you know, it doesn't bug me the way it used to. There was a point in my life when it did and it's, it's easy for me to take that for granted. So thanks for bringing that up. And like I said, it won't matter for me because I already know, I know what it means. I can just, you know, like brush it off. It doesn't matter to me anymore. But you're certainly right that it's a stumbling block to use that. That language is a huge stumbling block for both gays and their straight allies, as Marcia has noted. It is absolutely fundamental to know if if you're gay, if if you're attracted to guys or girls or both or whatever, God loves you anyway. I, I want to say like deal with it, and that almost sounds like too hard. <laughs> right, I was like, okay, acknowledge it. <laughs> I remember having a, a very a very good friend tell me like basically deal with it, and I was kind of shocked with it at the time. It's exactly what I needed to hear, and I'm glad he said it that way. For other people, yeah, it's, it's saying deal with it probably is too harsh and it's not the right way to go. You don't need to be Kurt from Glee. Just be you. And it's, it's Even though he's amazing, I'm just saying he can hit those high notes. Way to go, Kurt. It's okay if you're not like him too. Like, 
be authentic. And I know I'm saying that a lot. I think that really is ultimately the solution here. The more authentic you are, does it hurt sometimes? Will you lose friends? Yes, you will. And sometimes you'll also learn that you were wrong about some things too. And learning to forgive yourself for that is also an important part of that. And that's what God wants though. He doesn't want us to just sort of like hide from everything. Literally, that's also from scripture, right? It's like, don't hold your light under a bushel. You have to let your light shine. And on that note, let's you know break into the Godspell song now. You know, let- I know, right? I seriously, <laughs> I was like, let your light shine. Yeah. I got yeah. excited. Where does this leave you thinking about your vocation? Like, mm. where does it leave you? If you were to follow church teachings and you discerned out of the seminary and, you know, getting married is not, according to church teaching, not really an option to be recognized. Like, where does that leave you as Andy? So I remember sort of like coming to terms with the fact that, oh, I'll just be a gay single guy for the rest of my life. How hard can it be? A couple of years ago, after I ran for office, actually, I ended up getting a new job. I bought a condo where I am right now. Love my little condo here in Berwyn. And... I had another bout with mental illness, which eventually caused me to lose my job. I ran through all my savings. It was a terrible, terrible time. I didn't think I would have to deal with it again after my first bout. Um, And it did force me to even rethink a little bit about how I was living with myself at that point. You know, like, do I want to start dating other guys? You know, what, what exactly do I want? I had to think about that stuff again, even after having previously, you know, come to this conclusion, oh, I will be the perfect model gay single guy that the church can, you know, hold up as an example or something. Um, I don't think that's ever what I really wanted, but I think that's what I had kind of internalized that what was going to happen. And I mean, I I have come, like, I have like, okay, I've gone on dates with other guys at this point. What do I want out of it? I'm not exactly sure what I want out of it. I guess this is to say I don't have an answer. Ultimately, I think I'm in a place right now where whether it's my sexuality or my other other parts of my personal life, like the political arena or my family life, the fact that I still live with my parents who are getting, well, not I don't live with my parents, but my parents are three blocks away from me. So I see them a lot. The fact that they're getting older, the fact that I have younger brothers, the fact that I go to a young adult group at my local parish, which is designed for Hispanic youth. And I'm not Hispanic. So once again, I'm on like the, the outskirts of a group again. All these things, along with my sexuality, are things I have to deal with. And I don't really have easy answers for it. I, I don't think I really have an answer in terms of what's the right thing to do. I really don't. Uh, I'm not going to pretend that I do. I don't think it would be fair to tell people at this point. I can tell you what the church teaching is. And I can tell you plenty of people that live it and live it successfully. I still try to do it myself. But um, I can't believe I'm about to say leave room for the Holy Spirit because that is the most <laughs> <laughs> you went to Catholic school, baby. Right. Yeah. Um, it's in there. It's just ingrained. Sometimes God will talk to you in ways that you didn't anticipate. I mentioned humility earlier. I had to realize that what I was doing was not working. I had to do that back in seminary when I first came out. I had to do that about two-ish years ago when I realized that in spite of having just bought a condo and having a new job that something was still not working and I had to figure out what that was. I'm grateful that I've had both spiritual directors and psychotherapists who can help me with this kind of stuff. And I'm grateful to God that he's brought me this far. I'm not going to pretend that I have an easy answer to that question though, because I really don't know. I really don't. How's that for authenticity? No, I love it. I appreciate that. I appreciate you answering that question. Thank you. Thank you for being honest and trusting us with that and trusting all of our listeners information. Tina, do you have anything else? I think like, reflecting on that 
that idea. I think it's important to recognize that like we're all called to be saints, but we're all striving. <laughs> and that for me, like I, I have struggled in other with other parts of the church's teaching. And so I think that we all have to, with our own prayer and discernment and knowing what the church teaches and trying to live it out, recognize that we are sinners in need of grace and we are sinners working out our salvation with the help of the sacraments, with the help of God, who is abundant in mercy and forgiveness and grace, no matter who we are. <laughs> and again, to go back to what I was saying Amen. jokingly uh, earlier about baptism, we don't have any prerequisites for baptism outside of the fact you ask for what the church asks for. We don't know anything about babies, right? It's different when you're an adult, but most of us are baptized as babies. We don't know anything about them. We just know that they are beautiful human beings created in the image and likeness of God, and that God wants them to be part of his family, and we baptize them. To recognize that we are all called to communion, we are all called to be a part of the church, and that God will help us figure out what that means. And, like, and for me, especially coming to this particular quote unquote issue in the church, recognizing that I am not God, I am just a person and, and I can pray and I can love and I can live my faith the best that I can. And that's all I have. <laughs> and, and all that I have for people is to offer them my love and my prayer and my yeah. uh, companionship. And I'm going to let the bishop sort out the church teaching. <laughs> and I'm going to let the pope sort out the church's teaching. And right? I'm just going to be here. <laughs> Loving people. <laughs> like, that's their job. I it's not that. mine. And I will just say, yes, bishop. <laughs> right? Like, that's my job. <laughs> I know we're going to edit this, that edit this stuff anyway, but I really wish like the audience could see the video of. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, like talking about Jen's babies. talking. Well, and like, she's talking, you guys. She's like, like um, talking about her life. Yeah. <laughs> and my goddaughter is like using. She's like, where are my goddaughter's in necklace? And she yeah. like. <laughs> And she is like climbing. That's why you hear it just so when you hear that friction on Shannon's mic, it's because my sweet goddaughter Megan, who can do no wrong, um, was jumping all over her mom <laughs> and hanging. It was, we were laughing so hard. <laughs> you'll, you'll love to see. That's all I can say. I was like, this is so funny. And Marcia was this like, my whole <laughs> life. But uh, alas, this is a podcast, and, and that's good too. Yep. Um, there's there's advantages to having like an an audio only format and. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how this all turns out. The final part. <laughs> Me too. Wow, that was an amazing conversation. I learned so much. I, I've been really blessed by this time that we had, and I hope that all of you are as well. So we have reached the part of the conversation that, um, well, the podcast that we can all, we can all participate <laughs> But we get to share a little bit more about what we're liking, loving, what we think that you guys should like and love too. It is the offertory. Yay! <laughs> so, Andy, I know that you've listened to a few episodes and so you know that we offer things for our guests to try and do and think about. And we'll, we'll go ahead and start with you. What do you have to offer all of us today? I'm going to sound like a broken record, but I want to say I'm going to offer my authentic self 
and I want everyone else to offer their authentic self. Yeah! <laughs> it's so amazing! I can, I can hear it's like the OCD voice in my head saying, you're lying, Andy, you're lying. That's not what you want. No. Um, and I know this is what God wants too. So my authentic self, here it is. God made it. He made each of you too. Let's, let's praise him. Okay, awesome. It makes it my offertory. Ever. <laughs> I know. I know. And I'm just like, yeah, so I'm just going to make mine sound real basic. But I'm going to start. I have one thing. I have two things. The first one is... um. Ephesians 6, I want to offer that up um, right now. I am doing a Bible study with some of my coworkers, and it's about the armor of God. And I have been really like diving deep into it. And I was like, I would like to offer up Ephesians 6, you know, and all Paul's talks with the church in Ephesus. <laughs> that, is, that is really real right now. Um, one of the things that it brings up is that the enemy is invisible and that people are not the problem. And that is kind of difficult for me because if I can't see the problem, I can't fix the problem <laughs> like, and I can't control it. And uh, it's been, it's been a really good deep dive. So I definitely want to offer up Ephesians 6, but also the iced peach green tea at Starbucks, <laughs> not the iced peach tea, green lemonade, but if you get it like three quarter sweet iced peach tea, like it's a really good, it's a really good, just a little bit pick me up, you know, and I've, I've been really enjoying it. Like we're recording this at like towards the end of September. So it's still hot outside. And I've been really enjoying that as a midday treat. And that's what I like to offer. A Starbucks just opened up like all of three blocks for me, like just yesterday. No joke. So maybe I'll have to take you up on, go, I'll have to go for that. See, look at that. I had a good like opportunity. Best after day in your neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Welcome to your neighborhood's best day. What about you, Shannon? Oh my God, I just forgot. <laughs> oh no, that's. I'm going to recommend one thing that this week. It is. I don't normally recommend like games and apps, but there's a, a game and app on your various devices. I know it's on Apple and um, Google Play called. It's a game called Two Dots, uh, which I, it's like my favorite new game. I'm obsessed with it. I love puzzle games, and you um, connect dots and make squares and things like that to solve the puzzle within a certain amount of moves. So. Um, uh, the the app is called Two Dots, and it's one of my favorites. So there you go. There you go. There you go. Two Dots. <laughs> you <Love> wanna... <laughs> to continue this conversation, go ahead and follow us on social media, particularly Instagram. You can follow us at PSBB Podcast. On Instagram, you can follow me, Marcia, at StylishlySia. You can follow Shannon at Team Quarter Black. Andy, where can we follow you on social media? I am on Twitter and Facebook. I don't do Insta. I know, bad Andy. Oh. Bad Andy. If you look up at Andy Kirchhoff on Twitter, yes, that basic. That's how I should have answered the question earlier. That's the most basic thing about me. <laughs> my social tags are just like my name. Um, and if you look up Andy Kirchhoff on Facebook, uh, you probably find me there too. I, I do spend a lot of time on Facebook. They're vicarious. So, yeah. <laughs> find me awesome. on social Facebook and Twitter. That's the best way to get it. You can email us at platskirtsandbasicblack at gmail.com. I'm sure that uh, we can help you put you in touch with Andy because you'll probably have a little bit more questions. Don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. As always, we appreciate your support by shopping our merch at shop.spreadshirt.com slash podcast or becoming a Patreon subscriber by going to patreon.com slash podcast. We'd like to say thank you to God the Father, 
for creating us in the beautiful, the divine image. Thank you to Jesus for being a major part of our life and calling us to life in your church. Thank you to Andy for joining us and sharing your, your story with us and sharing your faith and trusting us to be vulnerable. Thank you to Jazar for our theme song, Seas of Mars, which keeps us moving and grooving each week. Thank you, Shannon, for being an amazing co-host. She went away, and I'm sure she thanks me, too. <laughs> and we want, to say, we want to say thank you to all of you for being with us this season. Catch up on our episodes. Look for our Echoes and Hope series coming out in February. And you guys have a great hiatus. Bye.